This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to Grief Relief. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host... Dr. Heidi Horsley. And daughter, right, Heidi? Yes, I am your daughter, Mom. Hi. <laughs> Hi. We've got a great show today, and, and one that is really going to be fun, because um, it's with Kathy Eldon, who's a good friend of ours, and what I like about Kathy also is she works with her daughter. So that's kind of fun, too, Heidi. So do uh, you want to introduce uh, Kathy for us, Heidi? I'd love to. I'd be honored to. Uh, Kathy Alden is a friend of ours, like my mom said, and she is also the brief mother of Dan Alden. She is a journalist, author, and film producer. She is the founder of Creative Visions Foundation and the co-founder of Sanctuary, a new Facebook application that commemorates and celebrates those who have died. She has authored 17 books, including Angel Catcher, A Journal of Loss and Remembrance, and her newest memoir, which is called In the Heart of Life. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Uh, you say newest memoir. Believe me, that is the only <laughs> memoir I'm ever going to <laughs> <laughs> You're doing you know your only. <laughs> I've given it the office. I've done. <laughs> <laughs> That's all she wrote, right, Kathy? It's, uh, exactly. It's, it's over between us. I've, I, I, it's, it took me so long, 16 years, to finally wow. write that wretched book. I mean, it's not, I mean, I, like, I don't think it's a wretched book, but it's, oh my gosh, it's hard to do that. Have you, have you guys ever done that? No, I have never done a memoir. <laughs> no. But anyway, uh, In the Heart of Life is a beautiful book. And oh, the cover, I was asking Kathy who did it because it's so stunning. So so simple and so lovely. So, um, but the thing that's Kathy is just a wonderful writer and writes this memoir. And Kathy, I was so interested when I thought about the full cycle of your life and how growing up in Cedar Rapids, of all places, because I grew up in a small town, smaller than Cedar yeah. Rapids, and starting out right. there and hearing the missionaries talk about Africa and show pictures and having you think oh, gee, I'd like to go to Africa someday and the, signing up for the Peace Corps and the whole thing, the whole story. But the cycle of life that takes you to England and then back to Africa and then having your son Dan killed in Africa, in Somalia, what a cycle. What, what a trip. No, I never even thought about it like that, but when you say it like that, that's really particularly interesting. It, uh, last night I spoke at a church... Um, and the, the 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 call was filled with young people, and it just took me right back to when I was ten years old, listening to someone come and tell me about Africa. So it was it was a, almost like, as you say, full circle. Yeah, so so interesting. Um, you know, I've been to Africa. It's a magical place. I've been on uh, probably four safaris, but you know. I have, you know, I kind of got it that it's really, it's a place you want to go back to. But it was really magical for you, wasn't it? Landing in Nairobi, Kenya in 1977 was like an explosion, a technicolor dream for me come true. I'd been living in the suburbs in, in England with my British husband and two small children, and, and I thought I would kill myself. It was so um, stultifyingly confining. But coming to Kenya, it was the, the height of nation building. Um, the most interesting people seemed to be there of all races. 50, f- there were 46 t- 
tribal ethnic um, differences in Kenya, for, for starters, and then every variety of expatriate. I managed to get a work permit, uh, talked my way into a job for which I had no qualifications, which was being a journalist with the Nation newspaper. And I got to go and interview the most interesting people I'd ever met in my life. They were creative, they were active, they were dynamic, and they didn't ask permission, they didn't get licenses, they just spotted problems, and then they rolled up sleeves and they went after the solving of them. So my life there was really just mind-blowingly engaging. My son, Dan, uh, came along with me on many of my exploits and started doing photography for me for the nation as well. How old was he then? Uh, Dan was about, well, he started coming with me at probably 12 or 13 and literally what became my photographer. I did, I used to do my photographs, but he was much better. <laughs> so he got a, he got a, he was intrigued with the whole idea of storytelling through photography and words. And when he was uh, 21, he heard about a possible famine in Somalia and went off together with a friend of his from Reuters to try to tell that story, to see if there really was a famine and then to to shoot pictures of of that famine. It turned out there was a, a horrific famine raging in the country, and he returned for the next year. He became the Reuters stringer. Uh, telling the story of the, initially the famine, then the relief mission that came as a result of the photographs that they had taken in the first place, and then a spiraling civil war. Now, were you were you amazed that he became the Reuters stringer, or did you kind of visualize that that would happen? I'm, I'm thinking about that. What about you, Heidi? About it's kind of amazing. It's it's an amazing. I'm captivated by this entire story. It is absolutely amazing. He started taking photos with you at 12 and just got really caught up in this and then went to basically photograph this famine. Yeah, I think, you know, um, if you try to envision an environment where you don't have to have a Ph.D., you don't have to have a master's degree, you don't have to necessarily have qualifications, it's kind of the way America used to be in the old days. That was the environment that where we found ourselves. So you just learn what you need to learn, and that actually applied to his philosophy for going to college as well. He was dyslexic. He was worried that he would never be able to do the math uh, requirements. So he went from college to college or university to university taking courses that he really wanted to take to get the learning that he felt he needed, but without worrying necessarily about the degree. And it was a very wow. interesting philosophy, actually, because he was... I, I love hearing this, Kathy, because I have a 15-year-old that's dyslexic. So it's oh, so interesting. Gosh. And he's also a photographer. Much... Oh, yeah. And no, he's also a photographer, yes. Well, something yeah. like 82%, or I can't remember the, the actual statistic, but dyslexic people generally are the most creative, inventive, imaginative, you know, thinking out of the box. She is... I, I'm sure now there are compensatory ways that you can handle that. Get get Dan's book, The Journey is a Destination, because I will. It's just a journal. Uh, um, I mean, it's just journal images. And then he mm-hmm. he literally had to teach himself how to write because his handwriting was so bad that he he's taught himself uh-huh. this sort of stilted-looking Victorian almost handwriting. It's very bizarre, mm-hmm. but um, it was his attempt to be understood by others. And and fabulous journals he did that you've uh, talked just briefly about the books that you've done with Dan's work. Oh, thank you. Um, we discovered after Dan was killed, well, basically, I should probably finish the story. Uh, on July 12, 1993, there was a terrible bombing by uh, of a house 
by by U.S. Marines where um, where there was a, um, a, a there, excuse me uh, there was a bombing of a house by U.S. Marines um, in search of a warlord that it was sort of like our quest for Osama bin Laden but tragically the warlord wasn't there and the bombing killed probably 72 people and, and injured another 200. Um, the, the survivors of this catastrophe ran to the journalist hotel and begged the journalist to come and cover what had happened. So Dan and a number of other journalists went. Dan was 22 at the time. And when they got to the house, the people were so enraged at what had happened that they attacked the journalist. Beat and wow. To that. So four, four people were killed that day. Dan was the youngest at 22. But it was one of those horrific things where there you know, I understood why they did what they did. It, it was horrible, and I hated what they did, but I, I got it. You know, I, I got it. But after Dan was killed, we discovered 20 journals, or 17, or I don't know, a bunch of journals that we didn't know. We knew he had done some, but we had no idea that there were so many. But I went from, you know, publisher to publisher saying, please, would you look at these? And they'd all say, oh, you know, thank you, they're very nice, but who would ever want a journal of a 22-year-old, you know, how could we market it? And then Chronicle Books discovered them and did The Journey as a Destination, which has sold 50,000 copies wow. <laughs> every school of photography and journalism and art. And then um, they did uh, uh, Dan Eldon, The Art of Life. And then Safari is a Way of Life, which is a kid's book um, really designed for young people today. But it's you know, Dan, I don't know where he came from. We, th- we feel that about all of our children, whether they're here with us or, or in spirit. But I feel like I'm accompanied by what I call his noisy spirit every minute of the day. I really do. <laughs> well, I, I love that. I'm sure he's with us today, and he certainly is in his spirit and all the good he's done and all the good you've done. Can you talk a little bit about what you're doing now? I mean, we could just go on and on for three hours about your whole life. Oh, no, thank you. Well, I, 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 after Dan was killed, I was in a state, of course, and every listener is very familiar with this, a profound grief. And I really didn't necessarily want to stick around, you know. I mean, I had a daughter who was 19, which is probably the only reason that I didn't end up in a, you know, a serious car crash. I certainly crashed my car uh, only once after he was, Dan was killed. But I knew I had to live for Amy. Mm-hmm. And so it was a question of, okay, how do I survive this? Initially, I plunged into issues around journalist safety um, and went from there to, we did a, a documentary called Dying to Tell the Story about Journalists at Risk, which was an amazing experience and it, all over Africa. And we went to seven countries to interview journalists. Well, why do you do what you do and what does it do to them? Um, in the course of that, I had a great privilege. I, when we finished the film, it was, we were taking it to the United Nations for the premiere and remember, I'm still very angry with the Somalis and what happened, and there's a blockage in me. I wanted to ask you about that, how you got to forgiveness. Yeah. I'm glad you're getting there, yes. Oh, thank you. Well, I certainly, it was, there was a congestion, and there was an anger. I could say even in a, a rage. Um, I knew what had happened, and when we went back to Somalia to, uh, to do the, the, the story, uh, we ran in, when we went to the house where Dan was killed, uh, there was a crowd of Somalis there who were very angry, and they circled our car and circled our car, banged on it. And I don't know what would have happened if we'd stuck around much longer. So going back to Somalia didn't sort of heal my, my feelings of 
concern. That must have been frightening. Uh, yeah. Scary. They're, they're certainly a volatile people, and, and they've gone through a lot. Um, so I was still, I, I, I had my reservations. Well, the day that we were going to launch the uh, film, premiere, premiere the film at the United Nations, Amy and I climbed into a taxi on the way to the U.N., and I looked at the taxi driver, and my gosh, of all the hundreds, thousands of taxi drivers in New York, our taxi driver was Somali. Like, whoa, wow. my God, what do we do, you know? And I decided to tell him the story. I really had to tell him the story. So when we got to the U.N., uh, he turned around, and I could see there, was, there were tears in his eyes. And he said, uh, my name is Ibrahim, and I know everything about this what happened that day. Oh Some gosh. of my friends were in that. Um, and I know and it was a terrible thing, and it shouldn't have happened, and your son and the others were just trying to help. And he looked wow. at me and he said, uh, Mrs. Eldon, he said, on behalf of all Somalis, I ask your forgiveness. Oh. Whoa. Oh. God, you know, what do you do? Oh, my goodness. I was still hurt and angry. And then I realized that, you know, the Gandhi saying, if, if the world is to change then we have to change. So I, I realized that I, 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 had to, I had to go there. And so I said, okay, okay, you know, I, I hate what the Somalis who killed him did, but I forgive, you know, I forgive this. And it was the most wonderful liberation. You know, I could just feel the energy free up, you know. Mm-hmm. And it gave me a sense of, of, of clarity and comfort and acceptance and that we poured then that energy into creating a foundation which is celebrating creative activists. And I that I use that term and it was triggered by those people I was following early on in Kenya. But people who are using that creative spark that we all have within us, but for good in the world. And so we focus on people using arts and media. You too would be creative activists that we would celebrate. <laughs> sure. <laughs> You're using, you know, that creative spark, uh, but you're using this radio and your website and the television show. Amazing work you're doing. But we now have about 100 projects and productions under our, our, our umbrella. It's a big umbrella, and it's called Creative Visions Foundation, and we would invite everybody to climb, you know, come and check us out. There, there are tools and resources that you can download for free that maybe you take some of the energy you've got around the loss and turn it into something that is powerful and positive, just like you two have done. Uh, Kathy, thank you so much for that. And I hope uh, all of our listeners will visit that site and take a look at what you're doing and, and join in. And thank you so much for being such a good friend to us and for being on our show today. I'm a Thanks, huge Kathy. fan. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye, Kathy. Well, Heidi, um, Kathy's amazing, isn't she? I it, the, That forgiveness piece, uh, I hope everybody will take that into heart because... You know, uh, what is it they say? Not forgiving is like holding a hot coal in your hand and expecting it to burn someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. I just did a, um, a TED Talk. Actually, if you, it might even be something we could link to. I did a TED Talk on forgiveness, a TEDx talk. It's called The, the F Word Transformed. And it, it uses that quote, uh, actually. But I, I think it's pretty important to try to get there. And it, it doesn't mean you ever forget what happened or you don't want justice but you're no longer hanging on to the emotion. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for being on the show, and thanks for listening today. And visit us on our site next week. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. 
Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.